Welcome to the Your Ideas Suck podcast brought to you by Flexibility. As usual today, we are joined by Eric Hansen, veteran designer, mountain biker, and companion for neurotic dogs. Also Nacho, product leader, entrepreneur, and amateur tea baron. What? Tea? Hot tea? Yeah, uh, Roy Bose tea, actually. Right, I used to... I, I, I... Early, early in the, and I guess you know this is over ten years ago now. I would I imported tea from South Africa from a South African friend, and we tried to set up a business doing that. Was your South African friend uh, Elon Musk? <laughs> no, gonna, no, his name is Johan. I knew that was going to get thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to uh, make a Boston joke about the tea. No, I was I was going to too. It was like, is this like some kind of like Boston anniversary thing or just, no? Yeah. No, yeah. it was okay. a legitimate attempt. I actually owned the domain. Tbarons.com. I had I had logos done. We did a whole I did a whole thing. It was fun. All right. Nice. I had no idea. <laughs> My God. Yeah, I thought you were throwing it in the harbor or something. Yeah. No, I should do that though. I'm gonna bring that up next time. T that'll be a T revolutionary, I think, is what that is. <laughs> awesome. Okay, let's get into our first segment, which is the news. Uh Nacho, do you want to start us off? I think we have a few possible topics. We do, we do. I'm going to start at the bottom in case Eric wants to pick up one of the other ones, or we just kind of roll in to some of the other topics. But like the one, the one news piece that really caught my attention this week is that holiday travel season has kind of spread out because of work from home. So it used to be like the couple of days before Thanksgiving, and then like the couple of days afterwards was just a fucking nightmare in the airports. Well, it turns out so many people are working from home; they're leaving the week before. So they're going to their parents' house the week before, they're working from home in their old bedroom or whatever, right? And then and then they're joining their family. And it's actually really funny because the the airlines and the uh, travel companies are basically ecstatic about this because they're like, this is great. Now we can like staff appropriately. We can prepare for a surge, but not this crazy surge. I thought that was really interesting. It, it's funny that... Over the over the week, I just for for Thanksgiving for the holiday, I just stayed at, at home and we just did something very small here. Uh, didn't even it, it really have even outside family come. <clears throat> but watching the news up until that point, they were talking about how like travel was going to be finally above uh, pre COVID levels or something like that, and they're you know had had people at LAX and showing how busy it was. So it's that that's a little like that. What you're sharing is. Um, a little different than what uh, KTOA News was trying to tell me. Well, well, I feel like that story is like the standard, like, it's Thanksgiving. Let's do the standard is busy at the airport. Dave is yeah. standing by to tell you how busy it is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, I, you know, you can't uh, you can't say KTOA News is the uh, is the authority on anything. So except car chases. <laughs> They're pretty good at those. <laughs> I do love a good L.A. car chase. For sure. It's always good. Yeah, I know. I, I saw you post this other article too. And I mean, I think it's kind of uh, relevant in a way to what you, what you talked about, uh, you know, retailers on track for records every Monday. And I think specifically you're talking about, you know, shoppers waiting on discounts. Is that what you're? Yeah. Yeah. I might not have linked exactly the right article. NPR had a big deep dive on this and a few others as well, but like, so two interesting things. One, it seems like we're spending like we expect to be spending, you know, which is like, which is crazy, you know, which is a little bit crazy, but there's two kind of nuance that they're finding in the data. One is that, um, we're not buying as much. So we might spend as much because of inflation, but we're not buying as many items necessarily. So the, the things that we're buying are costing us more, even though we're spending the same amount, we're just not getting as much for what we're spending. The other is because of the price sensitivity, 
shoppers are actually more likely to wait for discounts or to shop out or to hold out on on sort of that that price that they're expecting to get for their product rather than sort of say, oh, it's Black Friday, let's go fuck it up, right? Like they're just going to be really cautious and careful <laughs> and actually try to hit their price. I mean, that's, that's one thing that I noticed in like a general sentiment that I saw online is that it seems like the there's a lot less people going out in person on Black Friday and, you know, trying to hunt down yeah deals whether that's you know an inflation related thing or whether that's still like an, a, a post-covid sort of consequence i'm not sure but i don't know had you guys seen that at all one of the i think biggest differences i saw this year was my inbox just got beat up yesterday <laughs> same like <laughs> yeah marketers and like they were just going nuts yesterday with the uh, with the cyber monday emails i just i i felt like that was like more active than it had been before. Yeah, totally. I've, I've, I've noticed too, like a lot more, um, I don't know. I don't know if I would call it like targeted, but I feel like retailers are getting more focused on like, okay, we're giving, doing a sale on this, this day. And then we're doing a sale on this, mm. this day. They're like, oh. sort of like, I was target, target was really doing that where it was like, okay, this thing's on sale today. And then this thing's on sale today. Like deal the day kind of, I got stuff. the, the same thing from from Best Buy. Like I, I think it was actually like two and a half or however many hours ago, I got a notification from the Best Buy app that's like, "Here are these deals for you for four hours only." It's like, yeah, what? damn, that's yeah. a high pressure little situation there, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like, hmm, what what little psychology pieces are you trying to? It's push the whole there, like buddy? lightning lightning deal sort of psychology, I think too. Yeah, like the 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 scarcity. Yep, scarcity and, like, and not wanting to out. Yep, FOMO. FOMO. Well, you heard the, the eBay story, right? I mean, that's why everyone starts their, their listings at a dollar is because once you've bid on it, it's yours. And now if somebody takes over, like you'll bid over the price you may have originally intended to pay because you don't want to lose the item that has now been, been that is now yours. It usually takes me like three tries to get something sold off of eBay because the first two people like do something stupid or bail or like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I haven't, I don't think I've ever bought anything off of eBay. I might be aging myself. I'm definitely aging myself. Yeah. I, I, I haven't, I think, have I bought anything? Yeah. I, I've bought, I've bought, I've purchased. <laughs> uh, I've acquired. Good old, good old English. Yeah. Um, I've purchased things for me, like two or three things uh, that were very like niche and specific and old. So mm. I wasn't going to find them anywhere else. Um, mostly I just sell on eBay and it's just, it's always a nightmare. So see, yeah, I try I, to sell local. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, well, so it depends on how big like, it is, or like how expensive it is, because you know you don't yeah, like to ship right. anything too big or expensive. And... <clears throat> so I tried that too with with Facebook Marketplace, and it's like the the sea of the sea of is it still available messages? Yeah. Just like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, dude. There's apparently yeah. a bunch of bots that'll do that. That'll just like ask about your listing to see if your listing is valid or not. Hmm. But then yeah, the negotiation can be fine. kind of bullshit on marketplace too. That's it's a really so, good experience. Yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I think, you know, the one other piece of news I had on here that surprised me, and I'm really curious kind of your perspective is, you know, China's protests against the COVID lockdown. So like COVID hit and there was a lot of sort of argument, right. About whether we're doing the right thing or not. And maybe China was sort of an example, maybe not a good example or a bad example, but definitely an example of a way to handle the pandemic, which was the extreme, like, we shut down the whole fucking county, like everyone's isolated until this thing passes and then we do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting that, like, I, I think we all kind of thought that, like, the, the, 
the Chinese would actually just like continue agreeing to the policy. Like they all were on the same page for some reason. You know, this is like foreigner ignorance or whatever. But like the fact they're protesting lockdowns, I found really fascinating. So that 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 comes on the. I, I wish I had actually dug into it more when I saw it because I think it's a, a week or two old now, and I don't know where I would go find it again. But there was a thread that I was following that was talking about <clears throat> talking about China um, and kind of highlighting areas of, of challenges for the country financially, economically, and um, I wonder if there's just an amount of unrest building there that uh, that this is part of. Maybe not so much about just COVID, but just like the overall environment in China and what's going on. But again, I I, I don't feel yeah. super informed enough to talk about it. It was just like a series of like bullet points that I thought was interesting and that I didn't dig further into. Yeah, I think we know that's a historical precedent, right? Like when people are unhappy in other ways, like the the people rise up. I think in this case specifically, what I think, and maybe it's just because I'm taking it out of context, but like it just like is. I guess the question that I thought I found interesting was like. Is does humanity have a limit of like too much isolation, or is there a certain point where we're just like fuck it, like I don't even care, like we're not, like I don't, I don't care what diseases are out there. We're I, gonna. We're I would gonna argue that the, that the U.S. is at that point. The U.S. has already like thrown up the fuck it flag and just like we're cool, we're just gonna do whatever. I don't care anymore. I think that's an American culture thing, though. Well, you know, so? I think I think it's our tolerance is lower than you know some other cultures that have you know uh, a a better uh, instinct for. I don't want to say collective survival. Other humans. <laughs> a, a higher level of empathy for your L- fellow. Lower level man. of individualism. That's yeah. right. There not, you not go. So much, not so much indiv- or not so much inbred individualism is <laughs> That's right. As we have here. That's right. So our topic for this week is uh who are you building for? Uh so this really affects all of us who build user experiences in tech. From product to design and engineering, we have competing priorities on who we build for. Do we build for the user, for the team, for the boss, for the bonus, for design Twitter, in me and Eric's case, and uh, who ultimately <laughs> wins? So, who wants to who wants to kick us off? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna plant a seed, and I want Eric to like explain yeah. kind of the the bigger topic. But like I I mentioned, it, I, I remember in the news a little bit earlier, you were talking about the ad from Best Buy that's like four hour flash sale. Uh-huh. Like, right. Did that guy have the user's interest in mind? That's oh, a good he, was, he was just making sure that user does not miss out <laughs> on these incredible deals. <laughs> so, but like, that's, that's the thing that we have to try to balance as a designer, right? Like we all have like, the only reason we get to sit here and, and <clears throat> do the work that we do is because we get paid for it. Right. And like, so there, the design has to support business, but that doesn't mean like the, I, we can dig into this. That doesn't mean that, we design specifically for the business. It also doesn't mean that we like design in manipulative or unethical ways towards the user to manipulate for the business, which we try not to. Um, I wouldn't want to be party to any of that. Um, So yeah, but I I think, I mean, I've been in situations where, um, you know, you really do feel like you're not designing for the user. You're designing for some perceived business need. Um, that's probably, you know, it's probably real, but like there are other ways to do it. One of the the quotes that I always liked, and I think it was from Jeffrey Zeldman in, in one of his original books, um, was it like what's, and I'm going to get the quote wrong, but it was like, you know, design for like what's good for the user is good for business. And it, it can, 
tear that apart in certain ways. But it's it's I think overall, you know, if you're des- if you're designing and developing a product that meets the user's needs as best that it can, you're going to turn them into a customer, which is good for business. You could probably go too far. Like it would be best if no one had to pay for anything, but then no one would make money. So like, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, can't do a hundred percent, but. Okay. Ryan, you got thoughts? I'm trying to think. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) so, so I'll, I'll, I'll frame this from like, what what I've experienced too is like, you know, you mentioned juggling both like the people that are part of our companies that we've worked at that, you know, are focused on, you know, business value and making sure that we're meeting certain, you know, performance indicators or whatever our general goals are. Mm-hmm. And then like us on the user experience side focused on addressing user needs really more and, and, and somehow finding a way to link that and, and make that go through to achieving, you know, what we're trying to achieve, whether that's making more money or converting more people or whatever. I feel like what I've ran into a lot is like people become gatekeepers of the information that, that they focus on. So like I've worked with business stakeholders, either product or business analysts or salespeople that, you know, won't let you talk to certain people or won't give you certain information or, you know, things like that. But I, I feel like our job as, as product designers is to take in as much of that information as we can and balance those needs of the business with the needs of the users and while also, you know, addressing the users' needs and pushing back on the business as as best we can. Yeah. So interesting examples of that, right? Like um, doing an onboarding intake form, um, there are things that we could ask the user that were necessary for them to be set up in the system the appropriate way. Uh, obviously, we wanted to make that as frictionless as possible, get them into the system and integrated as quickly as possible and seamlessly as possible without issue. But then we had other parts of the company that wanted that opportunity to ask more questions that Been were there. more operational, right? So then you get these two extra screens of crap that someone has to go through to answer these operational things that no one could answer how those were going to be used. Um, So you've added like a ton of friction to the process, which is not good for the user. And if people abandon, you could argue that's also not good for the business. So like, how do you, how do you balance that? Understanding those needs, even though they wouldn't tell us what they were (laughs) um, and, and, and trying to strike that balance of what's good for the user and what the business wants and or needs. Well, it's not a user need, right? Like right. in that scenario, what they're pushing for is like a need of the business, whether it's like marketing information that they want so that we mm-hmm. can, you know, understand what types of people are signing up or, you know, what type of companies are coming from or, or things like that. I've actually ran into that very specific example in my, in my career. Uh, so I have, I have firsthand experience with, with something like this. Yeah, I think typically the way that situation has played out for me at least has been um, I was unable to convince the business to change course on what they wanted to do. And so the, the, you know, superfluous stuff ended up in the, in the onboarding flow. And it's really only after you ship that you can point to it and say, Hey, you know, we're having a drop off right at the screen where you guys told me to put all this stuff. So if you want people to sign up, we have to 
either jettison it or explore alternatives? Well, so that that's an easy, easy. Well, it's an easier answer because you've got data, which I think I think helps right. bolster a certain case. But like in some of these instances, I think what we're saying is is that at some point the UX person is making a judgment. The UX person is saying that this is not not moral or not needed or not whatever, and they're making a judgment to say this probably shouldn't belong to the product. It's not the person for the user. Is that the right place for UX to do that? Because sometimes as a business person, you might be able to make the case. Well. Like, like Facebook believes advertising is good, right? And that you, that users want to know about their special, you know, sponge product or whatever bullshit, because, because really they're searching for it and we're just delivering them what they really want in the end. So assuming conversion numbers aren't affected, how do you then make the change? Was that a dig on scrub daddy? It might be. <laughs> I love my scrub daddy. <clears throat> <laughs> So melamine uh, sponges for the win. So, so the to to go down that what you're saying though is that advertising is not user centric and is bad. I'm saying that's a point. That's a point necessarily, right? Like what we're saying is is that somebody makes a judgment that says advertising is not user centric and it's bad. Therefore, we shouldn't collect this information at the beginning. So, but I think like, and this is I think I've gotten <clears throat> this is probably where I've grown. And maybe grown is not even the right word, but this is where like I've grown or like conceded or whichever over my career Adapted. where, yeah, where like there would have been the purity of like, you know, people just want to be connected and share and like all of that. Right. Um, so we shouldn't have any of this stuff messing up the feed. It should be all about people and connecting and yeah. But then, you know, the, the company has to make money. How? So at that point, <clears throat> do you charge? Do you support it with ads? And then if the answer from the business and the rest of the of, of whatever comes from, well, we've decided financially the best way to do this is advertising, then the designer at that point has to pick up like, cool, if this is the way that I have to enable this product to work, what is the best way for the user to experience that? How can we make this the best, um, uh, use the word experience again, but how can we make this best for the user in terms of like, sure, show me ads that are targeted at me because why do I want to see ads that aren't? It makes it better for advertisers. It makes it better for, hopefully, the the person on the the the, the other side of the screen. Even though, I think we would all agree that like advertising and marketers ruin everything, or at least I would say that. I don't know if you agree with that. <laughs> but there's don't this, disagree. There's there's this thing that has to exist to to stand up the product that you're designing for, and you have to figure out a way to balance that within what you're doing. Yeah, I've always I've always liked the model of, you know, the the ad supported tier and then the ad free tier, you know. I I think Nacho to your point the question of like it it's not like it's not like a hopeless situation, right? As a designer when the business makes a decision like, you know, let's say we're going to do an ad supported product. It's just like how do I if I'm putting on my HCI hat <laughs> That's what I went to school for. Uh, <laughs> it feels like forever ago, but uh, you know, like how do I, how do I sort of do my work in this in this box within mm-hmm. these constraints and like reduce the amount of cognitive load that I'm putting on the person, right? So, like, yeah. if I do have to put ads in the product, how can I do that in a way that does not um, intersect or conflict? with the goal that they're trying to accomplish in the mm-hmm. product. So is the answer to the question of who you're building for then you're building for the business? No, no. I mean, I think, I think 
at the end of the day, in that scenario, I would be building for the user, but I still have to take into account the needs of the business. And they're the ones that are, are defining the sandbox that I am allowed to play in <laughs> for the solution, uh, essentially. How much, how much control does a designer have in affecting the business decisions? I think it depends on the business. Um, Eric, does it I'm depend sure. on the business or does it depend <laughs> on the person? So I, I think I think it actually does depend on the person. Oh, with the um, it, it's a little bit of it's a little bit of everything, right? So like the in the in the example that I was talking about earlier, where we had to add those those other like questions. <clears throat> once you fast forwarded six months, right? Like we had we had data, which was great, uh, but there was also like a huge change in leadership within operations at that point. And like the first time it came up and we mentioned like, this is a friction point. Users don't get anything out of this. That team, that new leadership was like, cool, get rid of it. So like sometimes it does depend on, on, on what, on who you're working with, which comes like, so one of the points I wanted to make was a lot of this comes down to, to communication, understanding and trust between the different departments. You have operations and business and they have a goal and they have something that they want to do. How does that align? kind of with overall company goals and then how much freedom are you being given to explore that from a design perspective to meet those goals as opposed to having something prescribed to you for yes. for a solution right where if we get a chance as designers to step back and look at this through the lens of of the business needs what we need to do to generate the income for the business and understand like where our users are in their journey and how to best serve them this piece or this, whatever this is. Um, and then like, you have to have that conversation back and forth with, with operations and hopefully and both sides are able to compromise into something that works for, for both. Let me ask a pointed question in this scenario. How much do you engage product when pushing back against a business model or pushing back against Something that you feel like would harm the user? A hundred percent. I engage product. <laughs> yes. Like, okay. But so, and and the way that I would typically do that is try to get them on my side. Explain to them what's going on to the point where I, now I have an advocate going along with me, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, candidly, I've had conversations with product people where, you know, maybe they've brought me specifically what they expect me to do. And, you know, they're really just asking for some sort of design deliverable for the thing that's in their head. Mm -hmm. And there's been times where I've had to ask them, I really appreciate, you know, the idea. And it's one of the things I'm going to consider, but like, can I explore <laughs> options? And even to the point where if it happens repeatedly, I, I start actually telling them, bring me the problem, not the solution. I was going to say, like, as designers, that's what we want from everybody, right? Like, yeah. let us know the problem and let's help. And the information the around yeah. it, right? Like the underlying information, what's yeah. the business motivation, you know, things like that. And then just let me explore things. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think to Eric's point, you know, and, and this is generally a thing. I mean, this is why the three of us are, are on here is like to us product design and management are really like hand in hand. And like, if you're not in lockstep with your, with your product manager, uh, you're, you're almost bound to run into challenges. And, and like if your product manager, their level of competence, as far as user needs is not, is not sufficient, then you're going to run into problems. And if your user, uh, if your product designers 
level of confidence on the business isn't up to snuff, then you're also going to run into problems, right? So, yeah. So everybody plays their part. That makes a lot of sense. I think, um, um, you know, it makes sense to bring in product. I actually am thinking back to an experience back uh, in the early startup days. Actually, the company I met Eric at, um, we wanted to build a new a new product, and they wanted to monetizing it by adding a monthly subscription model. And I was like, no, like like a monthly subscription model is going to end up getting more marketing people and more salespeople, but it's not actually going to solve the problem that this product is trying to fix. And so it was a, a way to take payments. Um, and so what we said is instead of a monthly subscription model, we'll take a small percent of the payment. Now what happens is the organization has to line up behind how do we get more payments? Because we make money when they make money. Right now we're sort of aligned at yeah. purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like that is, that is maybe like the gold standard in many cases, right, is where we try to align the business model goals or the outcomes we're trying to reach with with what the user wants as well. Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing from you guys? Yeah. Well, to what I was saying, you know, if you think about that approach that you just described, where like instead of explicitly having to ask for a subscription and, you know, have have the user go through that process and then have them thinking, oh, I'm paying a subscription for this and paying a subscription for this. That approach of like taking a cut of the transaction is like a very psychologically driven approach, right? From a user standpoint. And I think that's a good example of like product management being pushed in a more like not user centered because you're still charging them (laughs) and I'm sure they'd love it for free, but you know, like pushing them in a direction of like, how can I make this, uh, as, as, as minimally painful for the user while still getting the business value that we need to get out of the solution. That took a big pivot, right? That wasn't just like, like, yeah. I'm gonna gonna not huge business decision. Yeah, it's a big business pivot, right? So, like, so let's let's ask the question maybe in a slightly different a different way, which is, uh, uh, at what point do you put your foot down? At what point do you say I'm not designing this, or you've crossed the line? I'm I'm walking away. I'm getting a new job. Like, at what point do we do we do we raise our hand and say no? Uh, Manipulative, unethical, dark pattern design bullshit. Right, like, like you have four hours to buy something on Best Buy. No, yeah. like I, I don't even, I don't like that. Doesn't even bother me that much. Like I understand the 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 impetus for that. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, things like you can you can sign up for a service online, but you have to call to deactivate the service. Right, like that's bullshit. That's added friction. That's just meant to make it too hard for people to do what they want to do. Um, that's good for the business. It's bad for the the user, right? And if you're if you're focused on retention and you're focused on building a product that has enough value that people don't want to cancel, then you shouldn't be afraid to let people cancel the same way that they signed up. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, like that's just that's the kind of stuff that I wouldn't want to be part of. Business, we, we we make things that like we all have to make money. Yeah. And you know, I've definitely gotten more of a like anti-capitalist lean over the past <laughs> couple <laughs> couple years, but like I like eating and having a roof over my head. So fuck it. Yeah. Capitalism is here for 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 what it is. So and and you even said something like uh, uh, that made me want to question like so are you trying to say that you can't charge for things and and have the like have that fact that we're charging money make it not user-centered? Like I don't believe mm-hmm. that. Like we can make okay. you know, you can pay value. for value. Yeah. I'm providing value or the product mm-hmm. or whatever is providing value and you're going to, you know, 
provide money to have access to that value. There's that's user centered. Yeah. Yeah. I paid a hundred bucks for a backbone controller for my phone because it was worth it. <laughs> I, I left it at the hotel and I bought another one. Because yeah. it has value. Like I'm gonna fucking buy one. I want it. Like it's well, so like if if we look at the what we're using to to make this podcast all in, like this isn't free. No. Right? So but it makes it so much easier to do since we're all remote than trying to cobble something together that, that's not free. So that value is there. Yeah. Uh, th- enough that we've decided to to <clears throat> to pay for it. And then like within the container of that. It should be the most user-centered and, um, you know, good as it can be. Yeah. There, there's, there's something that I wanted to, to touch on a little bit more, too, because it's, it's a thing, it's a, it's a part of being a product designer that I find very interesting in, in design leadership in general is, is the whole, like, when can we say no? Mm-hmm. When can we just say you're not getting design support for mm-hmm. this? I didn't even know that was something that you could do. until until like my my first internship and then we did it you know i i I remember us doing it once or twice i think eric's (laughs) told me no many times i was was like i can't (laughs) say no we that's a thing that like design can do we can just tell people no that we're not going to do that but i think it is like you know when it when it contradicts your values as an organization um you know I mean, some people might disagree with whether it contradicts the values, but that's like, that's like a thing that you can point to is like, you know, that, that goes against our, who we are. Um, and then also, you know, if it, if it doesn't align with like organizational objectives. So I've been asked to design, I've been asked to put in a lot of man hours or have my team put in a lot of man hours on something that is not like, you can't trace that to any of our like OKRs or any of our objectives that we have as a business. And, and it's I was, like, I was trying so hard to stay away from OKRs, but you busted it open. So, cool, yeah, yeah. Cool. But, you know, like, why would I have my team work on something or, you know, put a substantial amount of time into something that isn't, you know, an objective for, for the, for our company. Um, and that's been another great way to say no to things that are just, you know, superfluous. Yeah, I, I guess the way that I would couch it is if, if I were pressed for it, I design for the end user in mind um, with the, the constraints, or maybe constraints isn't the right word, but with the idea of, of, of supporting business operations and the goal of the company, right? Like, so if you start talking about OKRs and you've got company objectives and, and those descend down into the different teams, there should be alignment there. And then within all of that alignment and what we're trying to do, my focus is going to be primarily for that end user and giving them the best experience possible within trying to meet those objectives and key results. Yeah. Yeah. So on the on the topic of constraints, because I actually really like that word, <laughs> because to me, constraints are always negotiable. Mm-hmm. Right. Like in any scenario, whether even if it's like down to a base, like this is the the platform level technology that we use for the product, like even that is negotiable at some point, right? And to me, like you, it's it's very hard to design in the absence of constraints. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay that's okay constraints me... are good constraints are good is the, <laughs> constraints is are the, good. 
We should do that, a whole episode just on constraints. So I think we actually go to a lot of really interesting conversations there because there's contrived, there's real, there's anyways, lots of really cool ideas to think about. But like, I just want to feedback kind of what I'm what I'm hearing, and then kind of get your take on it. So one, I asked earlier about the idea of like who's keeping the moral standard, right? Are you keeping a moral standard? And what I'm hearing is is that there's not that you're a designer or a product manager, any member of the team is the standard for morality, but they are a standard for morality. They are part of a team, part of a chorus of voices that should tell you when, when something isn't, isn't necessarily right. I think the other thing that I'm hearing is in order to really be able to design for a user, what we're talking about is a couple of key factors that need to come into place, right? One, the team needs to be empowered. They have to be empowered enough to understand the problem and to make a decision based on the problem, not just design what they ask for. Right? They've got to have a problem orientation. The problems have to be defined. You have to give enough context around the problems in order to be able to solve them. And there has to be enough clarity on the value that you're able to sort of drive to a specific result. Does that, does that sound right so far? Yeah. Yeah. To me, to me, the team empowerment is, is huge. And like, that's really what separated the, the bad organizations I've been a part of from the pretty, pretty good or decent ones is that the product organization, wherever you want to start that on the org chart, is empowered to solve the product problems in the ways that they see fit. So I, I really like the empowered teams part. The the other part that that's super important though is understanding the business of what you're of what you're building, right? Like understanding what the, the business is doing, how <clears throat> how you make money, how all of those things happen, and really have an understanding of that because you can't really design for it without that so it it reminds me you know for years it was like that should designers code and then someone came out and said actually designers should learn business um and then stop worrying about the code (laughs) which i think is is probably a a better place to put their brains well it depends on the on the role right i mean i think i think we can all agree that there are designers that should and do want to code and they and it's the world they should belong to. And other designers shouldn't, right? Designers should understand the business. They're on a different kind of track. Like, I would, I would argue that there, big enough, no? there should never be a designer that doesn't understand the business that they're designing for. But yeah, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm a little worried about the designers. Should designers code topic? I'm having like design Twitter circa like 2016 PTSD right now. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where so, it hurts, like, Ryan. Vietnam <laughs> style flashbacks. <laughs> well, you know, if, if you believe Twitter, like everything is going no code anyway, so it doesn't matter. You're fine. That's right. I should know Webflow by now, but I don't. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Now, so okay, so that that all makes sense to me. So, so yeah, I want to do it all for us anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm just going to ask Midjourney to build a, a a new a new enrollment flow and just and just wait for the result to spit out. Yeah. And in a few seconds. Um, so, so, so we talked earlier about like when you get pushed to the point where it's clearly a no, right? Like you're asked to do something that is maybe misaligned, right? It doesn't work with deeds. And I think we've we've uncovered actually a couple of interesting symptoms, right? Like working in silos, restriction of information, um, not 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 being talked about a problem instead of talking about features. I think these are all red red flags we should look out for that if we're working in design or product. But I guess the question I'm interested in your perspective in is when you've reached that limit, when you've reached the point where it's like, I should not do this, this is wrong, do you just quietly exit? Is there a responsibility to like tell management to flame them on uh, on like Glassdoor? Like, what's the right approach when you've reached that end of like, 
this is bullshit and 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 something is wrong here to me you you have a moral obligation to tell people when there's something that's egregiously wrong and to whoever will listen in the organization but <laughs> yeah sometimes you you tell the director of product and he yells at you and tells you to fuck off <laughs> right but <laughs> when 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 it's clearly evident that you cannot affect change in a meaningful way in the position that you're in and it's detrimental to your personal mental health that you can't affect the change that needs to be affected, your best route is probably to move on. Unfortunately. In a perfect world, you know, you would be able to do some incredible like mind changing to people and you know you would you would find a way to change the the organization. But in my experience, I haven't experienced a a whole lot of success. Granted, there's, I mean, to Eric's point, there's been, I think you mentioned before, like, you know, you leave a company and then it changes later down the road. And then, you know, that change that you wanted to see happen finally does. And one of the companies I was at, you know, I saw that happen. So sometimes it requires a more broad leadership change for, for things like that to, to take hold. Do you have anything, Eric? Not really. Um, nothing, <laughs> nothing that you haven't already kind of covered, right? Like I think a, a few things that come to mind is that like, it, I don't think that you run into that out of the blue. Like I think there are probably organizational red flags along the way. Um, it shouldn't be surprising to anybody except that they're like, you know, maybe you went through an interview process and you start up and all of a sudden like shit changed between the interview and actually being there. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've run into a couple instances that I don't know. <clears throat> they were, they were kind of like moral and ethical issues, but they weren't really like financially tied to anything. It was just like some decisions were being made that would, that would essentially let the UI like completely lie to a user and provide them incorrect information. And, um, that was more of a technical constraint than it was uh, a desire or uh, of, of product or anybody to, um, to, to, to lie or, or provide uh, information that was wrong. But then like, there was this weird piece and this is a cultural thing, right? Where it's like, well, we need to deliver something. So something wrong is better than nothing. And like, that's, that's one of those things where it's like, uh, actually no, the fuck it's not like, let's stop for a minute. So, so then what's the obligation? So let's get tactical for a minute. So like, what specific steps do you take? Do you tell your boss and then you're, and then you like, look for a new job? Do you do a write-up and, and send it to all? Do you, do you talk to the CEO? Like what's the right approach? Can we, can we get some former Facebook employees on here to answer these questions? (laughs) (laughs) How about former Twitter? Uh, They've got some ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Should be a large amount to pick from right now. I think, I think, you know, this is going to be a total cop out answer. I think it depends on your own personal, you know, risk level of, yeah. Level of comfortability and like what you're willing to put yourself through. Right. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know. My general philosophy is like, you know, you are navigating your own career. You have your own life. You might have your own family and stuff and you have to make the best decision for you, no matter what mm-hmm. the situation you're in is. If that means that you just leave quietly because that's what's, you know, that's what makes sense for you. Or, you know, if you have the means or the the willpower to push a certain direction, then go for it. But, like, really, at the end of the day, as a, as a human being, you just do what's best for you, right? 
And that's, that's a very like non guidance cop out sort of answer. But I, I like that one because it's the most human and, uh, you know, I was trying to come up with something like funny to point back to the quiet quitting episode on that one. Like maybe that's, that's your answer. (laughs) That's right. Because I mean, uh, get a mouse, get a mouse jiggler and (laughs) get a second remote job or third remote job. (laughs) I mean, like that, that's the tough part, right? Like you run into the situation where it's like, Ooh, I'm doing stuff that like, I'm not really, like I'm not really into and isn't really great for our users, but I got a house payment. I got kids to feed. What do I do? Like, you know, some of some, and I've, I've been in that spot where it's like, well, I'm just fucking trapped here for right now. And I'll start trying to find my way out. I'll tell you what, there's one reason was the many reasons why I love the, your idea suck kind of moniker and, and that phrasing. And, and one of the big reasons is be, is I put that up front, like interviews, it's on my LinkedIn page. It's everywhere. And it's this little, you know, I love, thank you, Eric, for the beautiful design. It's this little smiling light bulb with with what's going to be my hairline in a couple of years um um that 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 is in your face right it's like your ideas suck and part of that is i'm trying to set the brand or the expectation that like i'm gonna push back i'm going to tell you when things are uncomfortable and wrong i think you both heard me say like uh, there's been a couple organizations i worked at where if i didn't feel like i was at risk for being fired i'm probably not pushing hard enough so, so maybe like I'm on the other end of the spectrum, Ryan, but like, but like maybe there's something to be said about making, making yourself known or your brand or your, who you are is part of like, I'm going to tell you when something is wrong and that is why you're going to hire me. Maybe that's an important thing more of us should do. I agree. I, I do think that there's organizations that, uh, well, you know, firsthand there's organizations that aren't, uh, looking for someone what? looking for a candidate <laughs> like that. So, I mean, much to, uh, yeah, I guess it's not too surprising. You know, some people want somebody that's just going to get in line. Those are the, those are the same know? ones that are asking for a UX director, but you're really just going to make people wireframes. That's right. Yeah, that's correct. No, no policy, no design ops, none of that. Just, just, you know, but you're a UX director. <laughs> All right, let me ask one more question. Let's like wrap up this topic. Let's get yeah. on to what might do smokes. I know this is interesting and I love the conversation, but I know we're going a little bit long. So, so like the question I want to ask is for somebody in this position now, what is your advice to them? Uh, my advice is, uh, is communicate, right? Like reach out to the people that you work with, try to understand, um, the, the why behind what they're trying to do and then work towards a what that works for both the business and, and the user in a way that everybody can, can live with. Yeah. I'm, I'll mirror that and expand on it a little bit too. understand as much as you can about the technical constraints of the product and understand as much as you can about the business context and, and how the company makes money. That's really like the first question that I ask whenever I start as a designer <laughs> somewhere. I was say, like, that's, that's great advice. And it's something that you should do before you even accept a position. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, how does this make money or does it not make money? Is that like the current business model is that we just don't make money? Cause you know, we all know that's definitely a thing. Um, but to me it's like, and, and then just, you know, like Eric mentioned earlier, you know, get allies, whether that's product management or whether that's in sales or whether Data. that's a, a C-level executive or, or whatever influence you can get across the organization, getting those people that will be in your corner when you do need to push is, is huge. 
I'm going to leave one little piece of advice and, and, and then we can move on. But like in my mind, I would say for somebody in this position now, look inward and get really clear on what your own values are. Like do that first. If you haven't done that yet, like be really clear about where your lines are and where your morality is and then be courageous, like step up, be mm-hmm. a fuss if you need to do whatever fits your profile. But you know, in my mind, life is too short to put up with a bullshit job. There's so many different opportunities out there, especially if you're in product or UX. I didn't go to college, which locked out a whole bunch of opportunities for me. There's no question about it. But I've also found that companies that I work for that that require that are probably not companies that I want to be a part of. You and me both. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's that's my advice. Uh, if any uh, company won't hire Nacho, I don't want to work there. <laughs> is that Appreciate is that the, the lesson? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I think I think too many times we wait for these moral uh, uh, situations to come, and it's almost too late. Like we should already have an idea. We should take. We should invest time in ourselves to have an idea of where our lines are, right? Like, yeah, it's one thing to say like I don't want to do anything immoral, but it's another thing to say like here's where my line is. Right. There, there are different conversations with yourself. And I think it's worth having. So is, is the, who you are, who are you building for question is the answer to that myself. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that's deep. There we go. There's that take. You are, you are not the user. Uh, what? Something. <laughs> no, I'm building for my own fulfillment, my own, uh, my own moral superiority. No, I think, I think that's a great, a great point and a great, point to end on um well cool let's let's move into our last segment which is what made you smile this week so Eric, you got something or have an item first no i mean my i have something but it's probably kind of dumb so um i love kind of dumb it's great well it's very specific to me uh so like we, we most of of the people that are part of this or have listened to this before know i'm uh i, I do the drone thing and um dj i just released the new uh, O3 air unit. Uh, and what an air unit is, is it's the piece of, a, of, of an FPV drone that um, captures the video signal and sends it back to your goggles. Um, and this new one is uh, much better than the old one. And it's finally going to allow me to use just one set of goggles and one controller, which I'm very happy about instead of the four different sets of goggles and three different controllers that I have to use. Well, I'll tell, I'll, I'll give you my, what made me smile this week. I kind of put a red herring in cause I put the Eldering book, which did make me smile. That finally came and I'm really happy that the game guide came out, which again is aging me, but like what really makes me smile to be perfectly honest with you is, is the older that I get, the more I look back and I'm so grateful for the people that have helped me along the way and the people that have enriched my life. It's been Thanksgiving this week. I'm thankful for both of you guys, and I'm so thankful that I've had the experience of spending time with you both professionally and uh, personally. And so I think I think sometimes it takes um, uh, a little bit of a conscious effort, but it's worth taking a moment and, and, and being thankful for the people in your life that have really helped you become where you are. So that's what made me smile this week. Well, I appreciate that, man. Well, geez, Eric talked about drone stuff and then you go pull that out i know like mine sounds fucking stupid now. <laughs> that's why i get the big bucks yeah no that's great yeah i mean i it's the same same here you know i think 
post, well, it's not really post pandemic, right? Pandemic's still going on, but you know, post all the craziness of the last few years, this Thanksgiving and this holiday season does feel like a time to uh, look back on where we are and, and be happy and proud and thankful for the people that have gotten us here. So I mirror that sentiment. I'm not even going to try. Ha, 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 ha.